Buenas noches. José. It's Kiko. I decided I would uh, do a little introduction. Um, I found a, an essay I wrote many years ago, and I just thought I'd introduce it. Whether you, you feel comfortable or not, you're, uh, you're a guru. So uh, I dedicate this to you. Okay. Early school memories. My first school days began in September 1938, which now seems, of course, like ancient history. The school I attended, along with my brother Benny and Sister Carmen, was Zavala Elementary School in East Austin, Texas. There were about 300 students at the school, and all of us spoke Spanish since we were the children of Mexican immigrants. Almost all of us. And all of the teachers spoke only English, except for Miss Herrera, who was a first grade teacher, and Miss Soto, who became a second grade teacher, and then she went on to get a PhD at UT, which meant that if we didn't master English by the third grade, we were deeply in trouble as far as learning. Miss Herrera was a really tremendous lady. She was completely dedicated to helping us uh, make an adjustment to school. Yeah, she knew that we were really facing uh, some awesome things, having to learn English and the English-speaking reality. She spoke English herself with, with a thick accent, but actually was highly trained in, in both languages. My memories of the first grade, of course, are few. I remember that I liked school from the beginning, particularly enjoyed the, hearing the fairy tales and being able to read the beautiful books and then have the opportunity and pencils to write with. I'll never forget that uh, during the middle of the semester, they brought, uh, I think it must have been in second grade, Oh, no. In the first grade, uh, about two new students in who God, must have been 11, 12 or bigger. And what uh, their names were uh, Elias and Eloy Huerta. And they were so big that they needed bigger chairs than the rest of us. What I remember about them was that they were very friendly, always smiling, being in school with the first graders. I didn't know why uh, they were put there uh, in the first grade, but later I was able to figure that out, that they had never been to school before, and that compulsory education was just beginning to be enforced uh, with the Mexican people in Texas. Another incident I remember in the first grade was by the time, uh, at that time, I, that I did a cool thing. I pulled a chair out from under a girl and she was about to sit on it. And she hit the floor real hard and hurt herself. And then I naturally had to be punished. But the worst punishment was really realizing how this silly prank caused hurt. And I can say that I never tried a thing like that again. I learned so much in the first grade that by the time I was promoted to the second grade, I could read so well uh, some of the reading teachers uh, tested me and told me that I was at the third grade level. 
thinking uh, that they were doing me a favor, they they skipped me a grade, so I didn't really have the both benefit, the full benefits of a, a second grade. I continued it pretty well uh, until the fifth grade, when I somehow I began to feel the pressure of being uh, quote a star student unquote. And the pressure was from the other students because, of course, I was being the teacher's favorite. And in those days, when a Mexicano would learn English fast and then begin to speak it without an accent, he or she was considered to have reached the state of having become engavachados, which are the ones that adopted the language and the ways of the gavachos, who were also called bolios. I learned English fast because my mother had actually encouraged it. Uh, my older brother, Ben, and sister Carmen spoke it, and because I had playmates in our neighborhood who spoke it. Several of the neighbors were negros, negritos, and one family was Italian. So that in those days, there was uh, little to worry about in terms of forgetting one language or the other. So my language became pretty, uh, remained pretty much uh, bilingual. In the fifth grade, when I got the bad grades, it shocked everyone who believed in me, I guess. It's almost as if I was trying to prove that to everyone that I could be below average and as much as anyone can. And that continues to happen. <laughs> I know that uh, by the time I was uh, in the fifth grade, I had fallen hopelessly in love with geography, and I was just fascinated by science. By the time I was uh, promoted to the sixth grade, my only, my really huge drawback was my handwriting. Being left-handed was a big problem in those days. Uh, teachers hadn't figured it out yet that being left-handed was natural and that to teach handwriting uh, to the lefties, all they had to do was turn the paper around about 45 degrees. Well, as luck would have it, my handwriting was atrocious right from the go. And uh, none of the other teachers seemed to uh, make me feel terrible about it. Except by the time I got to the sixth grade, uh, Miss Durham, was our homeroom teacher, and she was the, the writing teacher. And her handwriting was so beautiful. It was just pure art. She would just get up on the board and make these long sentences perfect. And we would take a look at her writing, and and then we would, of course, want to write better. To, however, for me, it was too late. I was left-handed, and there was just not much the pencil bar marks could do uh, when I try to use my right hand, which is what Miss uh, Durham insisted that the reason I didn't know how to write was because I was writing with the wrong hand, and she actually forced me to write with my right hand. But I continued, since she had her back to the class, I continued switching over to my left. Uh, the only difference was that I, I was really careful and so the end result was that I was turning in better papers. And she was just so pleased because it was as if she could take credit because she's the one that had forced me to use my right hand. 
However, uh, she turned around uh, when I least expected and caught me writing with my left hand. And she got very upset. She just came up to me with a ruler and grabbed my hand and started beating on the knuckles till her face got red and her tongue was sticking out. <laughs> so anyway, but the most vivid memory, of course, was in my elementary school days was when I was in the, uh, I don't know, I guess third or fourth or something, in 1941. Hmm, 38, yeah, third or fourth, actually. And I was in the uh, shop class at Mr. Jones, and it was the day that Roosevelt was making his famous speech declaring war on Japan. And Mr. Jones, uh, we were in his shop class, and he... uh, brought in a radio and and then told us that what we were about to hear was a historical moment in our country and so that we listened to Roosevelt's speech on the air and all along with 20 uh, there were about 20 of us Mr. Jones was a, a pretty handsome man he was a, like a giant 6 foot 6 he had uh, sandy colored hair and was strict from the because he had a paddle that he had very specifically designed himself, this massive paddle with holes in it. So Mr. Jones carefully had explained that the the holes were to allow the air to go through, so that he could swing it a little harder without leaving bruises. But as I said, few students really wanted him to test it on them. Those who could be heard screaming, those that did, were quickly heard screaming from the corridor. Once I started acting up in class and started moving the stools around, forgetting forgetting uh, Mr. Jones' paddle. Before taking me to my doom, he announced to the class that as always awaiting that before he'd swat anybody, he would say, Class, now I want you to know that it's really going to hurt me to swat Frank here more than it's going to hurt him. But he was in creating danger to class. And if someone had gotten hurt while he was clowning around, it would have been my responsibility. And so he always made his speech in a calm and gentle way, and then he would... Uh, this one in particular confused me because I thought that one way or the other that someone had to be mad at you before they hit you. He took me by the arm and said, and saw that I was all ready to cry. So when we got to the corridor, he lectured me again, expressing surprise that a student who almost always behaved well that I decided to act so stupid. So he swatted me three times, swat, swat, in rapid succession, and I screamed. I wasn't even willing to take it like a man. And says so Mr. Jones, at heart, was a kind man. He offered not to give me the other seven swats. So I promised that I always maintain self-discipline. And he said that he felt sorry for me because he had seen how easily I bruised and how little pain that I could stand. And, of course, I told him that I was sorry, and I cried my and I dried my tears, and he sweated the next seven ones on the side of his leg, 
and told me to yell some more so that the class uh, wouldn't think that he was letting me off the hook. On the day President Roosevelt's speech, Mr. Jones had placed the radio uh, on a shelf up high, and we all sat quietly in our stool. Class, as you all have heard, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor yesterday. Terrible thing has happened to our country. And today our president is going to declare war. And I want you to listen, listen to it, because this is a day none of us will ever forget. So we listened with awe, and the president's tone of voice became permanently engraved in our minds as he spoke of the day of infamy, of the horrendous act of the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. Of course, as a fifth grader, I could hardly comprehend this awesome truth that from that day forward, the world would never be the same again.